Good morning, everyone. Are you all here? Yes? It is a good morning. It's a great morning. Thank you, Mimi and the team. And um, we're going to continue this morning in a, our series, which will take us right through till Easter. Easter's not that far away, six weeks um, or so. So if you uh, want to start considering what you're going to be doing, now's a good time. But we're on a, in a series called Journey to the Cross, and where we're following Jesus's journey from that from his beginning of his ministry through to what culminated in the cross and resurrection, his death and resurrection. And last week, Pastor Pe- uh, Pastor Peter, <laughs> who's Pastor Peter? Uh, Pastor Jasmine. Uh, she spoke about the baptism of Jesus Christ and looking at the fact that Jesus didn't need to come to be baptised because of his sinfulness, but he came out of obedience to his heavenly Father. It was Jesus's fully committed obedience that led him to be submitting to that. We have a responsibility to follow in the steps of Jesus Christ. We become baptised again in obedience to our heavenly father, but for the remission of sin. We, we recognise that it's God, what God has done on the inside and it's an, an outward uh, display or an outward recognition of what God has already done for us. So um, baptism is a, the first step in any of our lives when it comes to our Christian walk, apart from the fact of giving our heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing with baptism is for us, it, uh, one of the things, and Pastor Jasmine talked about that, was the fact that sometimes we consider being baptised only a long time after we come to know the Lord because we want to get our life right. And that's not the case. It's not about that we've got everything right. It's about the decision that we've made to follow the Lord and be completely obedient to Him. And that's what Jesus was displaying in His baptism It's a sign of complete obedience to our Heavenly Father and our submission to do what He calls us to do. So it's an outward expression of what an inner change has taken place and it's the natural and right response to us giving our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. But after Jesus' baptism, His ministry began in earnest because we read straight away that the, the devil took Him into the wilderness and tested Him Um, in his faith and and in his work for 40 days, 40 nights. During that time, Jesus fasted and, uh, and Satan came or the devil came and tempted him through those times, waiting, I think, Uh, at least until Jesus was extremely hungry and then saying, you know what, those rocks, those stones on the ground look like loaves of bread. You could turn them into loaves of bread and eat your fill. And Jesus recognised the temptation to do that as something that was not from God, quoted scripture, recognised that bread does not come from, sorry, our fullness does not come from bread alone, but from the word of God. And we need to recognise that everything that we are tempted with in our life is answered in scripture. We have all the answers that we need through scriptures. And Jesus' ministry began when he was released from that 40 days of prayer and fasting and temptation. One of the first things that Jesus did after he came out of that time in the wilderness 
was that he began to go, he went to the synagogue to teach. He began to teach. And Luke 4 gives us a very clear insight into the habits that Jesus had at that point in time. And he'd already had them formed. Luke 4, 14 to 16 says, when Jesus returned, that's from the wilderness, in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went throughout the surrounding regions. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Even right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he was in the habit of being in the house of God, the synagogue. I don't know if you, you heard that that time when I read it or recognised that, but as his custom was, it says, that he was going or he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, here's the thing. If, if Jesus who created the universe, felt that it was necessary to regularly attend a synagogue that was full of imperfect people, imperfect motives, led by imperfect leaders and had imperfect systems, how much more should we be part of a local church even if the church structure is not absolutely perfect? even in the things that we say and do at times, how much more should we recognise that there is no absolutely perfect church congregation because we're all human and we'll all, we all come together and we make up different aspects of that, but we're still human beings. And what did Jesus read when he came into the synagogue as was his custom he took the scriptures and he flicked through and he got to Isaiah and he, he read out, he didn't flick a book like that, it would have been a scroll that was there for him, but he, he turns to the book of Isaiah and it's Isaiah 61 that he finds. We know that because Luke 4, which is the passage we're actually coming from for this series, Luke 4.18 tells, it's recorded what Jesus spoke, but it was from the book of Isaiah 61. And it begins with these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, which we talked about last week with the baptism, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news to the poor. His spirit is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news to the poor. And it goes on through to verse 3 in Isaiah 61. But I want to stop there today because that's what I want to deal with. What does it mean as Jesus began his ministry to preach good news to the poor? And the scriptures were read by Jesus that very day. And as you read down through Luke chapter 4, Jesus is reading that out to the people in the synagogue. And he says to them, because they're all eyes are on him, because he kind of stops reading and they're staring at him like you would do to me if I stopped. See, you did it. And he said, today, this day, you have just what you have just been heard has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, what Jesus was saying, he was identifying himself 
as this person, the, the Israel's promised Messiah, who was the one who Isaiah spoke of back in Isaiah 61, that the Spirit of God is upon me and he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he says to them, today this has come, been fulfilled in your very presence. And what Jesus was identifying himself was the Messiah, the, the promised Messiah that everyone was expecting, the servant king that would proclaim good news to the poor. This is Isaiah we're talking about. The Pharisees knew it, the religious leaders knew it. The, I'm sure it had been proclaimed at some other points in time, but this is the first time when Jesus says today it's been fulfilled. So they knew about it. And last week, Pastor Jasmine spoke about the Spirit of God being upon Jesus, and that happened in a very visual way. It tells us in the Scriptures that this, a dove or the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came upon him. And it was in a visual way, not for Jesus' benefit, but for the benefit of those in attendance at that time so that they could actually recognise that there was something special happening. So it was for those there that that happened. And Jesus was anointed at that point to bring good news to the poor. And the verse goes on to other things. We'll look at them in the coming weeks. But he was anointed for the ministry. And the first thing that we want to look at is what does it mean that he came to bring good news to the poor? Because the good news for us is the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. We have Wonderful news, great news, exciting news. The kingdom of God has come to this planet. The kingdom of God has come in the form of Jesus Christ to proclaim good news, to give us the good news. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, has come giving us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That is wonderful news. And yet so often we don't recognise it as it's like, I'm not, yeah, and we do that. We, we should be the most excited group of people outside of those in heaven. Really, we should. There should be so much excitement in our lives because we have wonderful news. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. We, we have, and we know we have eternity in our sights. We are not conformed to the patterns of this world any longer, so it doesn't matter what happens. We just know that we have Jesus Christ in us and he will help us every second of every moment of every day. That's great news. And we have that opportunity to share that good news. Proclaiming the good news means preaching God's message of redemption to a sinful humanity because we've turned away from God and we've, we've broken the covenant that he made with us in the Old Testament. Even the new covenant we haven't kept to very well at all. But we have this opportunity. Why is it such good news? Because it means that not only can we be assured of that, that we are going to be in heaven, but that we can actually, while we are here on earth, we can actually rejoice and be in the presence of, his, of him through the Holy Spirit. It's not just something that's happening in the future. It happens now. We have freedom in Christ. 
to do what He wants us to do. Jesus has given us His Holy Spirit to help us through the journey that we have, the difficulties that we will encounter, the struggles that we'll have. And the, re the reality is we don't have to do those things on our own. We don't have to bear the burden of problems because Jesus has said, bring your things to the altar, bring those burdens to the altar. I've got a burden for you that's much lighter than those things. I'll take care of those. Here's what I want you to do. It's wonderful news. We do not need to be held under the bondage of sin any longer. Matthew 4 tells us that very specifically that Jesus travelled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. That's what he was doing. That's what he was saying to them. There's good news now, now is the day of salvation. Today is the time for the Lord. Look around you, watch what's happening. And Paul makes that really, really clear and the, to, that we are also have this same responsibility in following Jesus. If we are calling ourselves Christ followers, Jesus, uh, Paul says that we, if, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That's why the scriptures say how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. How will people know what the good news is unless someone goes? That's our job. That's our responsibility because we have the message. And so that's what Jesus was doing right at the beginning of his message was of his ministry was to tell them why he came. He came to preach good news to the poor. Now, before we get into that, the first point, if you're taking notes either online or you're, you're taking paper notes, the first point is truth is not always well received. Now, that shouldn't come as a surprise to most of us, but when Jesus reads these words and then concludes with, he says, the scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. When he reads that prophecy of Isaiah 61 and concludes with that, it's pretty clear that not everyone's happy about that, which kind of amazes me. But anyway, because look what happened down in Luke 4, <coughs> excuse me, Luke 4, 28, it says, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. I don't know you, about you, but that surprises me. Really, I mean, I've read the story. I know the end of that. I know the context of all of that. But if I was there in that moment in time, that surprises me. Here, Jesus acknowledges that the prophecy made way back in Isaiah's time has been fulfilled or is about to be fulfilled. The religious leaders and the Pharisees at the very least would have realised what he was saying. They should have known and they would have known. But rather than excitement that, wow, we are part of the prophecy being fulfilled. Wow, we are at the time the Messiah is coming. Wow, it's such an exciting part to be living. They mobbed him and they took him to the edge of the cliff, wanting to kill him even at that point in time. They were, their response was to get rid of him. That's, surpri that's surprising. 
because they should have known better. And, and so it's important for us, I think, to understand in our culture that, you know, not everybody's going to be happy with the truth. Sometimes true being true or speaking the truth isn't going to be well received. Many times people don't want to accept the truth because what the truth does more often than not is reveal something that's inside of us that we don't want to acknowledge. If the Pharisees had acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah, it would have revealed their hypocrisy of what they were doing as a Pharisee in keeping people under control. And they didn't want to lose their control. So even if they didn't recognise it, they were not ready to admit it, which is why Jesus said many times they're hypocrites, they're whitewashed tombs, they're the sons of the devil. He called them lots of stuff because they were unwilling to recognise the truth that was right before them. And that's one of the challenges that you and I have every single time that we go and we want to pray, uh, share the gospel. People have to be confronted with the fact that they're sinners. And regardless of how lovingly you present it, the truth isn't always going to be well received. No one likes to think that we're bad people. No one needs to or wants to acknowledge that we, we are not good enough to get to heaven. Even the truth hurts at that point in time and there's really no way of saying it any different way except that unless we are right with God, righteous and holy in our living then we, and accepted Jesus Christ into our life, we are not going to be in the kingdom of heaven. We are all sinners. Romans 6 tells us that. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And we need to recognise that, but people won't want to hear that. And we shouldn't be shocked if people don't want to hear the truth because even Jesus told the truth had people walk away. In fact, they left by the crowds at times. There was one moment in Jesus' ministry where he, he talked about what it required to be a disciple and, it, and the whole group seemed to disappear, lots of them. Jesus even turned to his disciples at that time and he said, are you going to leave too? So it was, it was, he didn't go chasing them down. He didn't water down the message at that time. He didn't say, oh, hold on, woo up. It doesn't matter. You can do it this other way if you like. He didn't do any of that. He spoke the truth and people walked away, even from Jesus. So if they did it to him, how much more are they likely to do it for us? And that shouldn't I was going to say worry us. I think it should concern us that people are not wanting to have that. But our, our mission, our, what we are called to do, our calling is to do that irrespective of what they do. Whether people listen or not, that's not our job. Our responsibility is to bear witness to what the good news is that God has given us. And if the, Jesus as the Son of God perfect in his deity and humanity at the same time, needed the Holy Spirit to be upon him, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit? How much more? When we give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And while the Old Testament spoke or it speaks of men giving 
or having the Holy Spirit upon them, that all changed at Pentecost. The Old Testament covenant was, well, under the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Jesus read it, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit is upon me. But what happened at Pentecost, everything changed at that moment because we read in Acts 2, verse 4, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. Where once it, he was upon you, it is now in us, filling us. That's a significant change because prior to Jesus coming, it was specific people. Now everyone has the opportunity to have or be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to guide us and help us and lead us toward truth, to, to guide us to what is absolute truth. And having the Holy Spirit is actually a wonderful, wonderful gift and a privilege. We shouldn't demean it. We shouldn't ignore it. We shouldn't be, be pushing it off to one side or, or not thinking about that. But the Holy Spirit in us means that we can be now guided and led to do what God wants us to do. We don't have to figure it out. Everyone, was, everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And while people might not like the truth, as long as we share the truth in love, not being judges on our own part, but true, sharing the truth in love, it's the truth we need to speak. It doesn't matter how people take that in one sense. Sure, it bothers us that they don't, but honestly, our job isn't to convert people. That's the Holy Spirit's conviction upon them and God's job. The Lord isn't willing that any should perish, 1 Peter tells us. The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but all come to a point of repentance. And some will walk away, probably more than we would like. Some will try to stifle the truth. Some in leadership will want to hinder the truth. They'll use deceptive words and deceptive means and actions. And, and unless we are well versed in what the scriptures tell us, we are going to be deceived. We're going to be caught up in that deception. They're going to say things that sound biblical or sound godly or sound good, but they're not actually what the scriptures tell us because that's how Satan works. And we get the biggest clue of that in Genesis where he came to Eve and did God really tell you that you cannot touch or eat any of the fruit in the garden? That's not what God said. It was deceptive words and if she didn't know what was true, well, she did get deceived anyway, but that was she would have recognised that sooner. So God said, you can't eat from that particular tree. Satan says, did he say you can't eat from any tree? Now, for us, that's good news because I think what we realise is that Eve knew what was right but chose what was wrong. So it's a lesson for us. If we know what we should be doing and we choose not to, that's sin. If we know the things that we're supposed to do and we don't do it anyway, James tells us that's sin and we should avoid that, knowing what we ought to do. 
So we might find ourselves questioning the truth if we are not finding ourselves or, and grieving the Holy Spirit if we're not being obedient to what he wants us to do. He's in us. Those who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into their life have the Holy Spirit. And secondly, second point, the verse goes on to say he has anointed me. He is the Spirit is upon me. He has anointed me. So what's the anointing? That's the point. What is this anointing? Well, in the Old Testament, the anointing was quite clear. It, the anointing came from God and God would anoint people for special purposes. They were anointed people who took the office of a prophet, a king or a priest, a priest or a king, whichever way you want to put that. Those three positions required an anointing. And the Old Testament priests were chosen by God, not self-appointed. They were chosen for a purpose by God for a particular purpose, to serve him with their lives. And the priest's job particularly was to offer up sacrifices on behalf of the people. Now, the priesthood served as a picture of the type of the coming ministry that Jesus would have. He was prophet, priest and king. But this priesthood of the believers is a picture of what Jesus was going to be bringing into us as well. And when the thick temple curtain that was approximately 30 metres, I can't even picture this, 30 metres tall, the scriptures tell us. And about two or three inches thick, if you're in old Imperial, what's that? Uh, 50, 60 mil. So it's, or well, 75 is three inches. So it's a thick curtain. And it's torn in two from the top down to the bottom. The scriptures tell us that very explicitly it was top to bottom, not bottom to top, because that the only way that could happen was if the hand of God did it. If it was from the bottom up, which is what man would have done because we'd have been standing at the bottom trying to snip it up, but it didn't go from bottom to top. It went from top to bottom, 30 metres up in the air, and the, and the curtain was torn in two. And what that meant at that particular point in time was that the bringing of sacrifices and the, the job of the priest of coming into the Holy of Holies was now complete. It didn't need to happen anymore because the Holy of Holies was now open for everyone. The curtain was gone. A very significant thing for us. Otherwise, we would still be coming to a priest to bring and bringing our sacrifices and we would have him come before God to, to confess or we would confess our sins and he would bring those sins before God for our forgiveness. But now people could come directly to God through the great high priest, Jesus Christ. He became our high priest once and for all. There is no need any longer for that to take place because Jesus took the place of our high priest. Hebrews records that for us. It tells us very clearly. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. It's quite clear. 
Jesus is now our high priest. There are now no earthly mediators. We do not have to go to a priest to have our sins forgiven. God, that, that happened Old Testament, but now Jesus Christ is our mediator to God, our high priest. We can come directly to him. He did all that was necessary on the cross and the subsequent resurrection that took place for those things to be completely dealt with. That's good news. And one Timothy, or Timothy tells us, Paul's letter to Timothy tells us, there is one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, and that man is Jesus Christ. He's our mediator now. He's the one that goes before us. We can come, any of us can come directly to the feet of Jesus and he will take our thoughts, our mind, our intentions and present them before our heavenly father as our great high priest, the mediator. And as Christ follows today, we live under that new covenant. We are told in 1 John that we also have an anointing. This is pretty special. It says in 1 John 2, it says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. That's amazing. Not only was Jesus proclaiming that he now had the anointing to go and preach to the poor, but we have an anointing. We have a special anointing. What is the anointing? We have this anointing from Jesus Christ as our mediator to become the priesthood of believers. We have been anointed into this position Peter tells us you are living stones that God is building into the, his spiritual temple. What's more, you are holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. We are holy priests. We have the anointing to the priesthood. So what that means for us as Christ followers is that we have been filled and blessed by the Holy Spirit. And that's something that's been given to the followers of Jesus Christ. We have this special anointing and our responsibility is to make sure that we become more submitted, more responsive, more aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing in us and then through us. We have an anointing to go into our world and preach the good news. You have been blessed. I have been blessed. We have the special blessing. We have a mediator, Jesus Christ, who will mediate on our behalf to our heavenly Father. We do not need to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit is now in us and he will give us the words to say. We don't need to worry if people don't listen. We just have to do so, share the gospel, share the good news in love because that's the anointing that we have. And Jesus reads the next part of the verse which says, he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Who are the poor? You could look out your window, or you could look down the street and you could work out who the poor were, or 
you could understand what Jesus' ministry was. We're told that Jesus' responsibility as the one who had the Spirit of God upon him and who was anointed by him, that it would, he would have also the responsibility to go and preach good tidings or good news to the poor. In the Old Testament, the poor were those who had no inheritance who were financially impoverished, who, who were of low socioeconomic stance, who, who were downtrodden, oppressed, disadvantaged people. They were the poor and destitute of the Old Testament. The poor were helpless. They were dependent upon powerful people and unfavourable circumstances. Shift that thinking into the New Testament into our time frame post Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, what we find is that the poor are those who have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. They have no inheritance at all. The poor are those who unknowingly, probably most of the time, are downtrodden. They're disadvantaged, they're oppressed, they're left destitute by the effects of sin on their life and they have no idea how to get out of it or that they need to get out of it. Those who are under the bondage and captivity and captive to sin and are heading for a Christless eternity, Jesus came to set them free, the captives free. He came to preach the good news to the poor in spirit. He came to let them know that there is a way of escape, that there is hope. We have that opportunity as people. Those who are under bondage, we have a responsibility. And we'll look more at the cap, setting the captives free in a couple of weeks because that's one of the lines that Jesus actually read out of Isaiah 61. But in other words, Jesus' ministry, the, one of the reasons that he came to this planet in the first place was to ensure that there was no one who was left poor in spirit because there was no opportunities of escape. Everyone had the opportunity to be rich. And what does rich, being, rich really mean? Well, it's certainly not to do with circumstances because we read in Revelation, the church of Smyrna, Revelation 2, it tells us just Jesus speaking to the church. He says, I know about your suffering and your poverty. Okay, there's the problem. They're, they're suffering and they don't have a lot of stuff, but you are rich, he says. You're rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they're Jews, but they're not because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. So richness has nothing to do with suffering. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. Will suffer you, su you will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Richness has nothing to do with what we have in the physical the people at Smyrna were suffering and in poverty, but Jesus says, you're the richest people out. You're rich. A people who now live under the new covenant, us, 
We have been filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and anointed into the priesthood of believers. And the reason that God has done that is so that we will be equipped to take the good news to those in our community who do not know of the freedom, who are poor in spirit, who have no contem, contem, uh, con, what's the word? It doesn't matter. Understanding of what they're going to do or what's happening. And one of the hindrances I think we face as Christians is being confident of who we are. We, we're fearful. I might say the wrong thing. Or they won't listen. Or what if they think less of me? Or, or what, if, what if I do it wrong? Or what if they hurt me? And we hold back because of fear. We, we're reluctant to step out in faith because we're, we worry about, as Christ's followers, what we should be doing or saying. But the reality is that we're rich. And we're, our job, our role, our position is that we are to share that wealth of, that we have with those who are poor in spirit. It's exciting and, and wonderful. Our circumstances do not determine our wealth. In fact, the world judges by material wealth. That's how the world will decide whether you are rich or not. And the world allows circumstances to determine their future. What happens in the stock market? Oh, no, I'm done for. That's what the world does. It allows circumstances to determine our future. But while our circumstances are not unnoticed by God, while he is fully aware of our circumstances, Smyrna, I know the poverty, I know the pressure you're going through, I know the things that are happening. He's very aware of what you and I are going through. Our physical wealth or even our well-being has nothing to do with how rich or how poor we are because we have Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in us. We are rich. And because we don't understand that sometimes, because we fail to recognise just how rich we are, we hold back from sharing that with other people because Satan doesn't want us to. He will hinder who, us recognising who we are in Christ Jesus. You are amazingly rich. If we are living a life obedient to him, persevering in the things that we should be doing, we have the Holy Spirit, we have everything that we need, we are amazingly rich people. And as a rich person, we have the responsibility of looking after our own spiritual welfare, safety, first and foremost. First and foremost. Because if we are spiritually unwell, then what we are going to take out will be already spiritually unwell. Yesterday, some of us did our first aid course. And for those that did it, some of those that have done it in the past, one of the first things that we have to do when administering first aid is the doctor, SAA, ABCD stuff that we have to go through. But the D stands for danger. And if as a first aid person, the first thing that you need to do is look for the danger around a situation, one, to protect yourself from becoming the person that you're trying to help, and two, to protect others 
bystanders from falling into the same category and making the job worse for yourself. And it's the same in our spiritual life. We, the first thing that we need to do is to ensure that our spiritual well-being is healthy, that the danger, we, we looked out for danger, we need to protect ourselves, we need to look for opportunities to grow so that we become strong, not put ourselves in danger in not reading the word, not really talking about stuff of spiritual stuff, not hanging around the right people. There's a whole heap of things we can do that will help us prepare ourselves spiritually because our primary responsibility is to ensure our spiritual safety by ensuring that we are following the Lord Jesus Christ in our spiritual walk and then we will have the capacity to be able to help others through that same stuff. Our calling is to preach the good news to those in our society who are downtrodden, who are oppressed, who are disadvantaged and left destitute by the effects of sin. Those who perhaps even unknowingly have no inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe they still think that I can, I'm going to be, I'm a good person, I'll go to heaven, but they have no inheritance unless they have given their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are building their own inheritances believing that that's what life is all about. If I can just have more, have better, have different stuff and I can have this great inheritance that I can leave on, that's what life is. We, it's not lasting. And what Jesus did throughout his ministry was to give us a template on how we should be living our life. The journey of faith for Jesus as he journeyed toward to the cross led him straight to the cross. The journey that Jesus was on in his ministry led him directly to the cross. There was no other end for Jesus' ministry. And honestly, hopefully I'm always being honest, but really our life will end at the same point where we need to come to the foot of the cross, where we recognise our sinfulness And we surrender ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ because on the cross, everything was dealt with that needed to be done. The resurrection gives us the hope of our future. The ascension recognises that we have this as an inheritance for ourselves. The journey of ours must be one where we too take up our cross and follow Jesus. And that literally means giving up our wants, our desires, our will, and submitting to the Lord Jesus Christ under the influence and guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's a daily challenge for me. I'm sure it is for all of us. To have the Holy Spirit in us is a privilege But to have the Holy Spirit in us and deny him the authority that he has to control us is to disregard the work that Jesus did on the cross in the first place. To have the Holy Spirit in us, give our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and disregard the work he has for us is to really disregard the work that Jesus did on the cross for us. It's to say, You didn't do enough. I'm not good enough. It's not dealt with. 
and some of the final words that Jesus gave us while, we were on, while he was on this planet are recorded for us in Matthew 28 where he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you to, and I am with you even to the end of the age. That's our commissioning. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have the job to go and preach good news to the poor in spirit. We have the responsibility to accept who we are in Christ. We are commissioned for a task ahead of us. And that's what our anointing is for. That's the confirmation of the Holy Spirit. And he is going to guide us and help us and never leave us even until the end of the age we read that. So let us go with confidence and let us be effective in what God has called us to do. Let us not be ashamed of the gospel nor be afraid of the work that he has for us because he will give us everything that we need to see his work done. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, your grace and your mercy, your love, your power, your authority, your goodness, your care for us your attention to detail, that you've left nothing undone, that we have everything that we need. We have been given the responsibility under the power of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit to go into our world and make disciples. We are anointed for this purpose, to go and preach to the poor in spirit, those who do not know you, Lord Jesus. We pray today for confidence, for for power, for the, for the authority to become real in us. We would accept that authority in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would not be ashamed to step out where, where others have not been game to, but we would do so with confidence. We would be bold and courageous, Father, as we step out in faith day by day, minute by minute at times that we wouldn't let our circumstances of life determine our future. But, Father, our future is already determined by who we are. We are rich. We have everything that we need. We have your power through the Holy Spirit. We have the assurance of your presence through your written word. And, Father, we have everything that we need to go into this world today. So as we step out into our mission field, let us be confident and bold and courageous as we do that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, now and forevermore. Amen.